Good morning, church. It is great to be together in worship. I'm excited for this, the fourth week in our Healing Touch sermon series. For those I haven't met, I'm Reverend Jeff, one of the pastors here. And this sermon series, Healing Touch, has been a really great one, especially in the season of Lent here at Northside Church. I've heard from a number of individuals here in the congregation who have spoken about just how this sermon series has struck a chord in your heart and how meaningful it has been during this season. And so today we turn to spiritual wholeness. We've talked about physical, mental, emotional wholeness and how that shows up in our life. Here at the church, we've tried to offer different ways to experience God's healing in your life. We've had uh, anointing oil that we've done during the service, provided that opportunity throughout the week if you'd like it. We've launched the Counseling Center. You've heard from Robert this morning. We are excited about what is happening here at Northside Church. And above everything else, we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the ultimate healer of every aspect of our life. And so we turn to spiritual wholeness. I want to be particular about that word wholeness because I realize healing is taking place, but sometimes that has this connotation of curing. And I like wholeness because we bring all of who we are to be redeemed and returned to the image of God that we have been created in. So we've said it before, but healing And this idea of healing touch can be a delicate topic for some, right? We all have a different path that we have gone down. We all have different needs when it comes to being healed. And so I want to recognize the fact that no two paths are exactly alike. But spiritual wholeness is always a path that goes through grace. And so this morning, we're going to dig into that passage from Ephesians that Reverend Sarah already mentioned. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of God's holy scripture. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, in order that in the coming age we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word for God, for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The central claim of this passage is that we are saved by grace. Just like Reverend Sarah was mentioning with her children's sermon, it is a gift. We have been saved by grace. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want to tell you out of the gate. That's what I want you to take home. You are saved by grace. It is foundational for our entire theology, recognizing this truth. But to understand grace, you have to realize that it is not anything we have done on our own. Grace is that love and mercy that God has done for us without us having done anything in return. We have done nothing to deserve this love from God. The passage says clearly, it is because of God's rich love for us that we've been given this gift. Now for me, grace is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter why you have shown up today. All of our stories begin with grace. Every story begins with God reaching out to us. And the end of spiritual wholeness always results in us being healed through God's grace. Grace has the first word and the last word. It is the great equalizer for all of our stories. Now, this grace This wholeness is, and spiritual wholeness is a little bit different than the other aspects that we've looked at throughout this series, right? When it comes to our physical or our mental or our emotional health, we don't know what path it's going to take. We don't know exactly how that story is going to rise or fall or where it will end. And that's a difficult reality. But when it comes to our spiritual wholeness, we know that Jesus is faithful to offer grace upon grace, no matter where we have been. It always has the final word. And so I wanted to start there with the main claim of the passage that we are saved by grace because that is the answer to spiritual wholeness. But if grace is the answer, then what? is the question. What are the things that cause us to need spiritual healing in our life? And maybe you have your own examples. Maybe you have the things that you are thinking of. But when we turn to this passage from Ephesians, it begins by saying that we were once dead in our transgressions and sin. Now, to some who are in this room, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and this type of language sounds very familiar to you, and it resonates, and it sounds obvious or self-evident. But I imagine there are also some folks in this room that hear a sentence as uh, heavy-handed as you were once dead in your transgressions and sin, and think to yourself, well, I, I don't know, I've always been a good person. 
And I think that can also be true because of how God's grace works in our life. But at its core, this statement, this passage, is talking about the human condition. Because the fact is, no matter how good of a person we have been, we still live in a fallen world. There is still original sin and evil that exists in the world around us. One of the things that I love here at Northside Church is our emphasis on children. We love having them come up for the children's sermon. We love uh, seeing them in the service. We love, I love the opportunity that later on today, the children's choirs will get to sing in the sanctuary. And the youngest of those choirs is called the Cherub Choir which is delightful, not just because my own kid is one of the cherubs, but I love that imagery. And so we will have the chance in worship later at 11.15 to see a bunch of little angels on display for the rest of the church. But there's also a reason that we need extra volunteers on Wednesday night for all of the children's choirs. I think one of the gifts of kids is that they display the fullness of humanity and raw emotion for the rest of the world to see with all the benefits but also all the struggles that we all wrestle with and if you don't believe in original sin then I invite you to volunteer on a Wednesday night with any children's choir it would be great to have you out but we live in a fallen world it doesn't matter if you are three or 93 there is something pulling us to make unkind, harmful decisions. And maybe it's just my perception, but it feels like sin is just not a super popular topic or thing to discuss in the world around us. But I'm convinced that if you want to experience spiritual healing, and ultimately spiritual wholeness in your life, then we have to admit that sin is a reality in our own life and in our own world. As we read through Ephesians, it talks about how this might look, that it might be the fact that we are held captive by transgressions or an addiction in your life. It might be that we've fallen into temptations to gratify the desires of our flesh, It might be that a very real power is working against you. I'll go beyond the passage and say maybe somebody else in your life has caused some spiritual trauma or church trauma. But the result of any sin is that we are separated from God. And when we uh, engage in these transgressions, we drive the wedge deeper between ourselves and God. But the good news is that no matter how great that chasm is, it has already been crossed by Christ Jesus. The good news is that we are saved by grace. It doesn't matter how we fall short. It doesn't matter if you are quick to anger. It doesn't matter if there is a real power working against you. You are already offered grace. It is by grace that we are saved. It does not matter what path we have taken. 
And so I joke about the humanity of children and how that's on display for all to see. Uh, But it's easy to look at others to notice that fallen nature. It's easy as adults to look at those who are younger, or it's easy as a person in power to look at someone uh, who is not as far along as you and say, they just aren't perfect. Let me show the way. But what you don't see often is the person in power or the parent or the boss or the adult looking at those who are behind them and admitting that they aren't perfect either. You don't always see the parent apologizing or the boss telling his or her direct report that they were wrong. But I'll admit that I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm not even a perfect follower of Jesus. And in theological terms, we call that confession. And confession is an absolutely essential part of us experiencing spiritual wholeness in our life. And so I wonder, what would our families look like if we were more willing to confess when we make a mistake? How would your relationships with a spouse or significant other or anyone change if you were quicker to confess? If you're a leader in a business or in the community, how would your organization look differently if you admitted when you were wrong? Confession is the vehicle that allows us to be transformed in our relationship with Christ. But inevitably, many of the people who are here this morning, you don't need a radical transformation. I mean, you're here at Northside Church, worshiping at nine o'clock on Sunday morning. It's a beautiful thing. But God's grace has always been at work in your life. It has gone before us step after step. We call that prevenient grace. We see it all the time here in the church. We see it as we baptize young infants in the way that God already surrounds them with the church. We see it in the children who come to worship, who learn the words of the prayers and the creeds before they even fully understand what they are saying. Prevenient grace is always at work in our life. And it's at work in our life even if we fall away. If someone goes off to school, starts a career, and, and falls away from the faith, God's grace is still pursuing that person, still calling them back into relationship. If someone uh, got a little bit distant from God and their faith because of something small like a global pandemic, and they begin to get wooed back towards God, grace is still at work in their life. That's the first step, God reaching out to us. And we confess, we enter into relationship with God, we experience transformation and justification, and then we grow in grace, a process that we call sanctification. And for many of you, that's where you are. You're growing in your relationship with Christ, drawing near to him, striving to at least, day after day. But still, 
Even if you are regular, even if you are committed, there are sins that come up in our life that continue to drive us away from God, and we are still called to confess when we fall short. Sanctification is a process, and sin will rear its ugly head in our life. But, no matter what our path is, we know that it is through Jesus that we find spiritual wholeness. So even when our path might be in doubt, the ending is not. This is how our relationship individually with Christ works, and that is key in spiritual wholeness. But that's not where spiritual healing ends. Spiritual wholeness requires the whole church. If you were to read through that passage in Ephesians again, what you might notice is that it began with a bunch of singular language. You, singular, were dead in your sins, but we, plural, are alive in Christ. The letter goes on to talk about how the church should function together, how we should behave in community, how our unity is our witness to the world around us. Spiritual wholeness begins with us, but has to impact the whole church. A week ago, I was at Habitat for Humanity serving uh, that Saturday, and we were working on baseboards. Now, I do have to do a quick plug. Next Saturday is the final week of our Habitat for Humanity build. It'll be the house dedication. I hope that you are there. You can sign up online. We'd love to see you. And commercial backstory. So I'm working on baseboards at Habitat last Saturday. It was a great team. I was out there with Mark Young and Frank Spears. Uh, uh, and we were, were Holly. Sorry about that. I was thinking about the people who were on team. I said the wrong person. It was Mark Young. It was Frank Alexander, Holly Owens, and Elizabeth Edwards. We were measuring, then cutting, installing the baseboard all around the house. And actually having a lot of fun in the process. But I will say, even though Jesus was a carpenter, and I went to seminary to study Jesus, they did not teach us about installing baseboard. So it's a good thing we had a site supervisor there, Jorge. He was very gracious and told me not to worry about any of the imperfections. And he reassured that everything would be taken care of later. And after we had finished a couple of the rooms, I looked back and there was a team of other church members going behind us, filling in all the perfections and gaps with the caulk. And Jorge approached me and said, see, all of your sins have been wiped away. And he was laughing, but I couldn't think about how that is actually a perfect image for the church. We need others in this process of sanctification. We need others to help hold us accountable, to hear our confessions, to offer forgiveness. We need the whole church to offer a variety of gifts and graces and ability to build up the kingdom around us. And so my prayer for this Lenten season is that we would find that as a church. We would experience Christ's healing touch in our life. Because in our spiritual life, 
It doesn't matter what path we are on. We are all saved by grace, beginning, middle, and end. So wherever you are this morning, I hope that you take another step toward Jesus. I hope that you can confess there's still room for you to grow. And may we journey as a church to change the world around us. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift that you offer. And even when we get dirty, even when we mess up, when we can't see through the mess that we have made, God, we know you are faithful to forgive. You are faithful no matter how long we have been following you to offer your love and grace to strengthen us. And I pray for Northside Church that we would be a type of church that makes a difference in the world around us, that knows that we don't have it all together, but you hold each of us in your hands. May we love you more this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.